Good morning. My name is Eddie Couples, and I'm the lead pastor of Love and Truth Ministries. I want to welcome all of our campuses that are joining with us today, whether you're in Craneville, Illinois, or you're in Savannah, Tennessee, or Henderson, Tennessee, or even over in Cordova today. We welcome you to Love and Truth Church. We are believing that the Word of God is going to touch your life today. You're going to be strengthened. You're going to be encouraged. So let's get ready to see what God is going to speak into our lives. Would all of us take our Bibles today and go to the book of Acts, the second chapter? I began talking to us a few weeks ago on this aspect of significant Christianity. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ has called us to live lives of significance. I don't want to go through life and not make a difference in somebody else's life. Amen? I don't want to be a big fat zero at the end of life. I don't want to come to the end of my life and, and, and God you know, looks at me and says, well done. I want him to say, well done. I, I, I want him to speak into my life and, and let me know that I have accomplished what he has called me to do. So we've been looking at this aspect here in Acts, the second chapter, beginning in verse 42 through 47, of how the New Testament church, as it began, how they lived out significant Christianity. We talked the first week about our witness, how that you and I are called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, and that that witness comes out of a relationship with him. We talked the second week about worship and how that true worship, again, is out of relationship and that we live our lives day in and day out in this aspect of relationship. And then the Bible says that the Lord inhabits or dwells in the praises of his people. Last week, we talked about having relationships with one another, how that it really is kind of messy sometimes to be a Christian. Have you found that to be true? I mean, you know, there, there are aspects of our lives that other people are involved in who are believers, and we kind of sometimes struggle with some of those things. And, but today, I, I want to I just again read this passage to you because I want us all together on this. Look in, in the 42nd verse of chapter 2, and I'm reading out of the New International Version, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, I want to tell you, I'm looking for that day. I'm looking for that day where people are in awe because of what's happening in Love and Truth churches. That, that they're going, man, I, I, let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you what's happening. And there really is a, a rumbling in the communities that we are involved in. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. In other words, they were walking together. They were in obedience. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. That's kind of where we are today. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And lit this last sentence. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I've talked about that each week. I love that last sentence because I believe that it is God's will for the church to grow daily. I mean, what would happen in each community that's represented by a love and truth church if every church was growing daily? I'll tell you what would happen. We would make a difference in our society. All of a sudden, the crime rate would go down. All of a sudden, the addictions would be broken. All of a sudden, things would begin to happen if the church would move forward day by day, seeing the Lord add to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, we talked about my witness. We talked about my worship. Today, we're going to talk about my walk. How is it day in and day out that I'm to live? Uh, you know, was it Johnny Cash that wrote the song, I Walked Because You're Mine, I? 
Walk the line, that's all country people know that one, you know, the country singers. I did hear that there's more country stations than there are any other stations in, the, in America. But anyway, uh, you know, I started to start off with that today. I thought, you know, let's, let's just play that Johnny Cash song, just really mess everybody up. Uh, but, but it really is, it's, it's the whole aspect of how we live and how we conduct ourselves and, and, and what is it that Jesus Christ has called us to and how do we go about doing that. So this morning in the first part of the message, I want to I just kind of show us some things that the Word of God says in how we are to walk. And then the latter part, I want to kind of break it down and unpack it a little bit and help us to individually find out what we are to do in moving forward in this thing called Christianity. John, the 12th chapter and the 26th verse, if you just want to look on the screens, it says this, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now, in this aspect of walking with Jesus, the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. How, how did Jesus conduct his life? Have you ever read about Jesus? Twelve of you. Uh, you, you know, I mean, the, the whole thing when you begin to read about Jesus, Jesus will mess your world up, won't he? I mean, Jesus does not fit into a religious category. Have you noticed that about Jesus? In fact, Jesus messed up religious people. In fact, he saved his harshest criticism for religious people. Religious people didn't like him either. They called him a party goer. They said he's just a party animal. All right, the King James. I'll give you King James. That'll make you feel better. The King James Version says he's a friend of sinners and publicans. That wasn't sinners and Republicans. <laughs> then that would mean Democrats. No, no, I'm sorry. Oh, come on, work with me. All right? And, and the, the whole process is, is that when, when you look at the life of Jesus, you find Jesus doing things that really mess us up. All right? In, in this, this process, Jesus wouldn't fit in most churches. Because he would show up people that we wouldn't want to come to church. Jesus would bring prostitutes to church. Right? J Jesus would find the gal that's been shacking up with somebody. Y'all read that woman at the well thing? Jesus would bring in a terrorist to church. You say, a terrorist? Yeah. Do you know that Jesus chose a terrorist as one of his disciples? The Bible says he chose Simon the Zealot. When you look up the word zealot, what it means is Simon was a terrorist. He was a zealot against the Roman Empire, and he was a terrorist. And Jesus said, that's the guy I like. Think about that. I mean, he chooses the, apo apostle, well, the apostle Peter, right? And, and even whole, whole religions have been founded upon the apostle Peter. Have you ever read about the apostle Peter before he was the apostle Peter? And even when he was hanging out with Jesus, I mean, he's, he's always messing up. You know, he'll have great revelations one moment, and then the next moment Jesus will turn around and say, Get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, he didn't say, Get thee behind me because you're acting like the devil. He said, You are the devil. This is who Jesus brings around him. And then, then we won't talk about cutting off ears and cussing. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's what we see in the life of Peter. Uh, he has a tax collector hanging out with him. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that just ruins my day. 
He's got a guy who has no belief about anything. You know, uh, Thomas. Thomas is always doubting everything. I mean, you, as you begin to look at it, Jesus brings around him people that you and I would not want around us. And yet, that's what we're called to. We're called to walk like Jesus. We're called to live like Jesus, to reach out to the downtrodden, to reach out to the hurting, to reach out to the down and out, but to also reach out to the up and out. Just because a person has money doesn't mean everything's wonderful in their life. And so God's called us as believers to walk like Him, to live like Him, and to be obedient to Him. But it doesn't stop there. The book of John, the 7th chapter, verse 40 and 41, uh, says this, On hearing His words, now it's, it's interesting, On hearing His words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. In other words, they said, in another place, they said, he doesn't speak like a normal man. Here's the deal. Not only do I have to walk like Jesus walked, but I have to be captivated by him. Now, what do I mean about being captivated by Jesus? Here, here's really what I mean. How many of you remember when you first fell in love? Some of you are in trouble. Some of you just sat there and your wife saw it. And you're in trouble. The ride home is going to be frosty. You won't even have to turn on the air conditioner. <laughs> Someone will give you another chance. How many of you remember? Those of you watching as well. <laughs> I saw a guy go, yes! <laughs> How many of you remember when you first got married or first fell in love or first, well, you remember that? All right, now. That's what we're talking about. It's, it's the psalmist said it this way. David said, as the deer pants after the water, so my soul longs for thee, O God. I mean, when, when you first fall in love and you're captivated, man, you can't, you know, you can't spend enough time together. You, you, you know, you'll, you'll go out on a date and you'll hang out together and, and you'll drop them off at the house, uh, you know, with a good respectful handshake. And, and, and then on the way home, you'll be on the cell phone to them. And you'll get home and you'll get on Facebook or you'll text them or you'll Twitter them. I still haven't understood Twitter yet. But anyway, I, I mean, all, all these things that, that you'll do, be, be quiet because you're captivated by them. You think, man, I can't wait to see them again. I can't wait to be in their presence again. And yet, so many Christians put Jesus on on Sunday morning like they put their clothes on. They come to church, they do their Jesus thing, and they go home, and they take him off until next Sunday. I want to tell you, if you're really going to live life significantly, it's not I put him on and I take him off. It is daily I am captivated by him. I am in love with him. I, I want my life to please him. I want everything that I do to line up with his will and with his purpose and with his word. And, and so you, you, you begin that process day in and day out of saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you would have me to do today? God, I, I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. See, that's what prayer is about. Isn't it interesting that the church and the devil has made prayer a religious exercise? We've told people, well, you, you need to pray 30 minutes a day or you need to pray an hour a day, and so then we make it a ritual. And, and I've, I've heard Protestant people talk about, oh, the Catholics with their ritualism. Well, I want to tell you, Protestants are just as bad. 
You know, and, and, we, 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 and if we don't do that, then we, you know, we kind of count it as when we said, Jesus, bless this food, and now I'll lay me down to sleep. We said, well, I prayed today. That doesn't count. That does not count. Now, let me help you with prayer. Prayer is not a religious exercise. Prayer is out of a relationship with your Father. Prayer is about communication. Prayer is about getting up in the morning and maybe you're rushing and, and everything is going to be hectic and, and you're trying to get the kids out of the door and, and you're trying to get the, you know, the, the, the lunch packed and you're trying to do all the things and you rush to the car and you hadn't even thought about Jesus. But on the way to work, you can pray. Your lunch break, you can spend time in prayer. Now here's what I would encourage you. If you do pray in the car, don't close your eyes. I don't like meeting people who are praying with their eyes closed driving down the road. So keep your eyes open. It's biblical. It's okay because the Bible says watch and pray. <laughs> all right. So for all of you who think that you have to close your eyes, Scripture says don't be watching, okay? Uh, but, but prayer is just this living out of this relationship day in and day out with the Lord. And, and so it's, it's coming into that place of where, Lord, I, I want to be captivated by you. I want to live in relationship with you. And then thirdly, the third aspect of walking in relationship with the Lord is found in 1 Corinthians, uh, the second chapter in verse 16. It says, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The third aspect of this, as you're moving into this walking with Jesus and walking like him, uh, is that you've got to think like he thinks. The Bible says we've been given the mind of Christ. I really can't think like him. Now, I want to tell you, how many of you before you got saved didn't think like Jesus? Right? I mean, my mind went all kind of places. I mean, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. I said, where's a two-by-four? <laughs> right? I mean, the, the Scripture says, thou shalt not lie. And I found out that a, a lie was a present help in a time of trouble. <laughs> you know, all of these things that for years, some of us for years and years and years before we came into a relationship with Jesus Christ thought one way. Now, just because you got saved does not mean immediately you had a lobotomy and a new brain put in. What it means is, is that as you pursue God and you allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life, the Bible says when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Every day of your life, the Holy Spirit wants to guide you. He wants to speak into your life. Daily, God wants to download. How many of you know this term? I'm not, I am the least computer literate person possible, all right? I know enough to be dangerous. But here's what I do know. Garbage in, what? Garbage out, right? I mean, it's, it's a proven fact. You, I don't care how great a computer you've got. I don't care how many microprocessors and whatever. I can promise you, if you put garbage into that computer, you are going to get garbage out. And so that's why it's needful for us as we come into relationship with Jesus Christ that we live life allowing the Holy Spirit to put the good things in, to bring that which is pleasing unto the Lord into our life so that we can begin to live this overcoming abundant life that Jesus Christ has for us. And it's, it's thinking differently. I mean, when I, when I look at Jesus' life, 
Do you know what I see about Jesus? Jesus never had a need that wasn't met. Think about that. Study the scripture. Jesus never had a need that wasn't met. And yet I meet so many Christians who have what I call a poverty mentality. Well, I, I just never have enough. I never. Listen, we need to learn to think like Jesus. How did Jesus think? Well, they showed up one day, and there's thousands upon thousands. In fact, the Bible says there was 5,000 men plus women and children, and, and they're all out there on the hillside of Judea, and they show up, and they come to Jesus, and they said, get rid of the crowd. And he said, what do you mean? They're, in, they're into this teaching. Man, I'm, I'm doing good. Okay, I know the Bible doesn't say that. That's my interpretation. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving them some good things. What do you mean send them away? He said, Lord, they're going to starve to death. They've been here all day. He said, well... Uh, go down to KFC and get them some food. He said, there's not one. <laughs> they said, in fact, even if there was, we would not have enough. A whole year's wages would not feed these people. Jesus said, what do you got? You got this kid over here, right? He's, he's got a little sack lunch, got a few couple of sardines and what I love to say is some saltines and sardines. Well, what is that among so many, one of the disciples asked. And Jesus said, bring it here. Let's bless it. And the Scripture says Jesus blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. They fed the multitude and what? Twelve basketful of fragments were picked back up. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to be totally broke one minute and an hour later have 12 baskets full running over. Why? Because Jesus understood that his Father in heaven was not going to let him look bad. Well, some of you missed it. So I'm going to say it again. You need to understand that it's not your reputation on the line. It's God's reputation. We are not the issue. He is the issue. You say, well, I don't believe that can happen. Well, let me, can, I, can I give you Scripture? Here's what the Bible says. Hey, guys, you see all these things I've done? Yes, Lord. Greater things than this shall you do because I go to the Father. If you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will do it. And yet we walk around as though we are beggars. We walk around as though we don't have anything. Well, I, I just hope one day, you know, something good happens to me. No, no, no. You've got to think like Jesus. You, you've got to have the same mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That's what's got to come, and that's what's got to happen in our lives. And if we begin to think like that, instead of us looking at situations that seem impossible, we will know that with God all things are possible. So when our marriage gets a little rocky and things get a little rough, how many of you have been married oh, longer than 30 minutes? <laughs> right? Come on. I think I had a, I had, you know, first 30 minutes was good. In fact, I'll say this, Sherry and I, Sherry and I had the biggest fight probably that we had ever had, maybe have ever had, the night before we got married. It was almost so bad, we almost called it off. 
You know, and then you go in the next day. Yes, I, yes, I do. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, and, and so your, your marriage gets in a mess, or, or maybe you've got a child who's gone wayward. You know, you, you've raised them in the things of God, and you've taught them the things that, that the Lord has for their life, and all of a sudden you see the, the direction that their life is taking. And if you're not careful, you just throw your hands up. It's, it's impossible. But wait a minute. Think like Jesus thinks. He, he didn't think anything was impossible. He saw dead people and raised them up. He saw impossible situations. He, he one day, uh, they came to him and said, uh, hey, do you pay taxes? And he said, don't have to. I kind of like that. <laughs> but to keep the government off my back, I will. And he looks at, at Peter. Remember the story? looks at Peter. He says, hey, Peter, uh, go get a line and a hook. And go down to the lake and throw it in, and the first fish that comes up, grab it, look in its mouth, and there's going to be enough money in there to pay for your taxes. It's the only place in Scripture where Jesus ever tells them to, to fish with a hook. Everywhere else he tells them to fish with nets. And so Peter goes down, throws the hook in, and the line in, pulls it up, and there's this fish. He opens his mouth, and there's this gold coin. It's enough to pay all of their taxes. Now, my interpretation of that story is Peter kept fishing. Come on. Wouldn't you? I'm saying if there was one, maybe there's 20, you know. I want to pay my taxes, but I want to, you know, buy a new car. And I, want, yeah. I just think he kept fishing. You know, three or four hours later, he showed back up. Jesus said, what do you got? He said, I got the coin. He said, go pay the taxes. Jesus never faced anything that messed him up. And so we've got to come to that same place where we think like Jesus thinks. Now, how do we live that out day in and day out? What, what does that look like? And I, and I want to share this with you. Look, look in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, because I, I want to share this as I close today. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Be not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. He, here's what we've got to come to. If we really want to walk like Jesus walked, here, here's what I want to call it. It's just radical living. You're not going to fit with everybody if you really want to be a significant Christian. If everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. I've said this for years. There's one scripture I've never had to worry about. The Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. I've never, ever worried about that. All right? Uh, but you've got to come to that place of radically selling out to Jesus. What that means is this. It's all about pleasing God, not me. My life is about bringing pleasure to God Almighty. I've got to lay aside what's in my life that does not please my God. That's what I've got. I've, I've got to be willing. It's, it's just like when you get married. When you get married, you've got to stop dating. I, it works a lot better. I mean, you can date each other, but you don't need to be looking around, all right? And, and, a, and a lot of times in the kingdom of God, it's like, well, I've, I've got to give up some things to live for Jesus. Yeah. 
you know, it's like giving up some things to get married. The benefits outweigh the sacrifice. So, yes, there are aspects of your life that you have to change. There are things. Years ago, and I shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to. Years ago, when I lived in Memphis back in the 80s, uh, there, there was, that, that was during the big born-again thing. It's when Jimmy Carter was president and everybody was born again. Remember that? Any of you as old as I am? I mean, everybody was born again. Born again this, born again that. Top of the commercial appeal one day, I picked up the paper, and it said this, born-again stripper coming to town. And that got my attention. Now, you're probably more spiritual than I am, but that got my attention. And I thought, okay, how does this work? Does she put her clothes on? Come on, some of you are just way too religious right now. And, you know, you, I read the articles about this gal who's coming to one of the strip clubs, and she, but she was a born-again Christian. And I, and, and I looked at it, and I thought, you know what? That is the epitome of, of stupidness, but it's, it's kind of where, where we are. It's, it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm born again now, but I can just still do what I want to. No, the Word of God tells us that when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, there are going to be some things we pick up, and there are going to be some things that we lay aside and that we're going to live this life of radical, total obedience to Jesus Christ, that I am giving my life to Him. The Bible says, how do you do this? You do it by renewing of your mind by the Word of God. My lifestyle is tested in every area. Any of you found that to be true? Have have you gotten one area down and all of a sudden there's another area that kicks up? You know, I, I am not the most patient individual in the world. Some of you know that well. If you've been around me over, I don't know, 30 minutes. Um, Patience is not a virtue of mine. And don't you start praying for me to have patience. (laughs) All right, because the Bible says tribulation worketh patience, and I don't need any more tribulating, okay? Um, But but I'll find out, you know, I'll I'll get one area really good over here. Maybe I've, I've got anger really handled well, and all of a sudden patience just gets messed up. And so it's, it's this whole aspect of daily. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. It's, it's the whole aspect of giving up who I am in this radical commitment to Jesus Christ. Another aspect of that is in the book of Galatians, the second chapter, and I'm, I'm closing, but verse 19 and 20 says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, here's what it means. It means total commitment to Jesus Christ. It really is. Totally committed. Totally sold out. Lord, it's not about me. I am crucified with Christ. It's really surrendering my personal desires. Not what I want. What do you want? Not how I want to live. How do you want me to live? It's delighting in his life through me. It's allowing. See, I think we've missed this. I think we've got all caught up in the do's and the don'ts. And we've forgotten that Christianity is to be delightful. I mean, I'm I'm so often just really irritated with Christians. And the reason is, is because they act like there's no joy. There's no happiness. You walk in churches a lot of times, and it's the most depressing place out of the funeral home you go. And some of them, anyway, 
And, and I just found out that Jesus said that he came to give us life, John 10, 10, and that more abundantly. And so we've got to come to that place where day in and day out that, that we're living in a delightful relationship. I want to tell you, living for Jesus is not a drudgery for me. Been doing it a long time. But I'll be honest with you, I enjoy it more now than I did 40 plus years ago when I got saved. It's more enjoyable. It's more fun. I've learned what the relationship is about. And it's not about my, my being perfect. And it's not about me having all the right answers or all the right things. It's just about walking with Him in fellowship. And some days I get everything right. Well, almost everything. And some days I totally mess up. But you know what? I'm still in relationship. I still delight in him. Why? Because the word of God says, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, whoever liveth to make intercession for you. So when I mess up, you know what I do? I just go, God, I did it again. He says, which one? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I remain, I, I stay in that place where I do what I call, I keep short accounts with God. I don't let them pile up. I just go, God, you know what I did. You know what I thought. You know how I acted. You know what happened. And, and I live in that place. And, and I want to tell you, it's a great place to be, and you can be there. So when, when you understand that, what you find is, is that your walk with God provides you three things, and we're done, and that is this. It provides you principles to live by. When you begin to look at the life of Jesus, you find that there are principles that you can live by. Secondly, it gives you a foundation. The old song we used to sing says, On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And number three is it gives you stability. It really brings stability into your life. I want to tell you, there's nothing like the life of a Christian. Listen, I tried sin. Anybody else? Come on, fess up at church. Anybody else tried sin? Thank you. And you know what? Sin was fun, but it was for a season. I enjoyed it, but for a season. But there was always a higher price to pay than I wanted to pay. And what I found about this relationship with Jesus Christ is this walk with the Lord is so wonderful. And so it's day in and day out that we're walking with God. And I challenge you to learn to walk like Jesus walked. Say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever been looking for someone or been in a crowd or whatever, and you, you couldn't really see a person's face, but you could just see the way they walked, and you knew who they were? Right? Ever, ever had that happen? You just said, oh, that's so-and-so. How do you know? I can tell by the way they're walking. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people, they couldn't see our face, but they would just look at us and say, he walks, she walks like Jesus. When I see them, I see the walk of Jesus in their life. My son and I walked into a place the other day and and uh, somebody looked at me and said, well, you can't deny him. He looks like you and he walks like you. And you know what? I don't know what that meant to him, but it made me feel good. And you know what? I think God looks down. And when somebody says, hey, you walk like Jesus, I think the heart of your father is happy when you walk like he wants you to walk.